their homes, losing their businesses or their work, not all because they had decided to follow Jesus. And so Peter writes to them this letter to tell them to, per- to persevere because they have a living hope. Uh, and I, as we've gone through this series, I've shared with you some of uh, the stories from Voice of the Martyrs. I get a, a weekly prayer email from the Voice of the Martyrs, different stories of people from around the globe uh, who are facing different kinds of persecution. And so I, I wanted to read for you the story this morning uh, of a pastor in Ethiopia. Pastor Dereje came to faith in Christ 20 years ago through his friend's Christian witness. Once he became a Christian, Dereje felt called to serve the Lord. As he witnessed about Christ throughout his community, a church gradually formed. And as more and more people became believers, others in the community started opposing Dereje. They threatened to kill him if he did not stop evangelizing. And they refused to rent homes to any Christians. Eventually, he was attacked for his bold witness, suffering a broken leg. Though he can't walk, he is still traveling from place to place to share the good news. I was called to serve the Lord, he said. I'm ready to do so under any circumstances. That's the hope-filled endurance that Peter calls us to As we finish this letter. And so let's give our attention to God's word. First Peter chapter five. Starting in verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen And establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, we pray also that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in it. Save us. Renew us, change us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, A number of years ago, I think I've probably already shared this story. I'm not that old, so like, and I I have a really bad memory. So like, you're just going to hear the same stories again and again. That's all I got. Uh, You get what you get. 
All right. So uh, a number of years ago, I was uh, running the Vulcan 10K race, and uh, I was actually running it with Jason Harley. Jason, you ran a 10-kilometer race. What's happened? <laughs> Thank you. You ran it with me. Uh, so uh, we were so we were running this race in Birmingham, uh, and so what happens is you start downtown uh, near Lynn Park, and you run up around up the hills. Birmingham, as you may know, is not a flat city. It's a hilly city, which makes it both pretty and hard to run. Um, so we're running through the neighborhoods of Southside, coming up all these hills, and then you, you make the turn and you come down a big hill. Uh, and just to give you some insight into what a great runner I was, I think we were passed at that point by a guy pushing a stroller with a child in it. All right. Uh, so that gives you a sense of, of where I was at in the race. Um, but as we, as we neared the finish, Jason was, uh, was running next to me. Um, and if you've ever done a race like this, uh, or if you've ever been to one, the, the, the finish line is easy to spot a ways off. There's usually like a big archway they set up, and uh, there's music playing, and like there's a time clock there, and there's people cheering. Right? So you know that the, that the finish is coming. And so there's one point uh, as, we're, as we're nearing the end that we begin to see the finish line. Uh, and Jason said, come on, let's go. And somehow we found another gear and we sprinted. We, we ran towards the finish line. Right? That's what Peter uh, is calling us to do. What, he, what he's doing is he's saying, look, here's, here is the end in store. Here is what's in store for you when you cross the finish line. Now run. Now here's the difference, a couple of differences between what Peter is saying and uh, how it relates to spiritual things and, and our experience in that race. Uh, one, as far as races go, it was relatively easy. It was a sunny day. You know, yes, I was tired. Uh, but the race of the Christian life can be terrifying. And we, we heard, right, there's an enemy we have. He's a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so it can be a terrifying experience. It can be an exhausting experience. But here's the other difference. You see, when I, Jason and I were running that day, we were in no danger of winning that race. Now, we, thankfully, we weren't at the end. Uh, but the, the leader of the race was certainly, you know, like he was not threatened by me. Right? There was no chance I was going to win that race. Finishing was, was the goal. But here's the good news of what Peter is saying. He says, you can't lose. You've already won. The, the victory is, is in your hand, secured for you by Christ. So run. Run as hard as you can. Right? Another way to put it, what you believe about your future shapes how you live in the present. And that's really the whole letter. That's, that's, that's what First Peter is all about. What you believe about your future shapes how you live in the present. Or, as David prays in Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Peter tells us four things, uh, helps us believe that by telling us four things. First, he says, humble, your, humble yourselves. Second, he says, stand firm. Third, he tells us to look around. And then fourth, he tells us to look ahead. He starts by telling us 
to humble ourselves. Look again at verse 6. Actually, this should probably start back in verse 5 if you want to bump up a verse and look at the very at the last sentence. Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Right? Here's how Paul puts it in his letter to the Philippians. He says, treat one another as more important than yourself. That's humility, right? When I view you as more important than me, that's humility. I lower myself to love and serve you. Peter says that's how everyone in the church, leaders, non-leaders, everybody should put on, should clothe yourselves with humility. Why? He tells us because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right? God, God opposes those who would say, I got this. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. Right? I, I, don't, I don't need your help. That's, that's the proud person. And God opposes that person. God says, okay, have it your way. You won't have my help. But he gives grace to the humble. And therefore, Peter says in verse 6, we should humble ourselves. Under the mighty hand of God. Under God's mighty hand, we should lower ourselves under his hand of power. This means that we have to bow to his wisdom. We have to trust his care. We have to rely on his promises. Especially in the face of opposition that threatens us. That's the situation that Peter's dealing with. And really, if we're honest, if, if we're walking, if we're following Jesus, we too will face opposition at varying degrees. And when someone threatens you, how does, how does your flesh want to respond? We want to push back, don't we? We want to strike out. Right When you are being dishonored and disrespected, the urge to fight back and defend your honor is strong. But Peter says, no, you need to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. He, his, his hand of power, his powerful hand is even in control of, of your persecutors. That what you are facing is not outside of God's control. Therefore, humble yourself. How do we do that? Well, Peter tells us. He says, humble yourself by casting all your anxieties on him. We humble ourselves by praying. By taking all of those things that we're worried about, all of those things that we fear, and literally throwing them on the Lord. That's what he says. Cast all your cares on you. Like you cast a, a fishing line out in the water. Throw your cares on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you believe that? If that statement's not true, if God doesn't care for me, then Peter's command makes no sense. Right? Humility, think, think about how dangerous humility is. You are deliberately lowering yourself to someone else, right? You're lowering the shields. You're opening yourself up in vulnerability. You are putting yourself in a position of weakness. That's absolutely silly. 
Like, why would you do that? That, I mean, not just silly. We can say it's foolish. It's even dumb. It's dangerous. Humility is. If verse 7 isn't true. If God doesn't care for me. But God does care for me. And therefore, I can lower myself under his hand. And what will happen? It says, at the right time, he will exalt you. In his time, which can be frustrating, right? But he said, Peter says, lower yourself, and at the right time, God will exalt you. He will bring the resurrection. He will lift you back up. So you lower yourself and you give him the space and time to allow him to lift you up. He will bring the resurrection after the death. Not just physical resurrection, but even in life. Humble yourselves. There's a second thing Peter says, and these two don't really seem to go together. Humble yourselves and stand firm. Now, I don't know how bowing the knee, like bowing the knee in humility doesn't seem like a great position of strength for standing firm, does it? But remember, this is God's kingdom, and God's kingdom runs upside down to the way that we often think. It goes up, up, it's actually right side up. We're the ones that are upside down. But here, right, the position of weakness, trusting in him, is actually the true position of strength. That's, that's what enables us to stand firm. Look at verse 8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, clear-minded, alert. Uh, let's take that word sober and we'll contrast it with drunkenness. When you're drunk, everything is hazy, unfocused. Right? You're, you're driven more by your unfettered, unfiltered passions then you are rational thought. It is impossible to be alert when you're drunk. It's the polar opposite. And so Peter is calling here for a spiritual alertness. As you humble yourself, now be, be watchful, be sober-minded, be alert. Why? Because, he says, we have a real enemy. He says, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The word, uh, so the devil, uh, that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew name for Satan. Uh, And the word means accuser, right? So he's called your adversary, the accuser. What is his tactic? Uh, We see uh, throughout scripture that the devil or Satan, he is a personal Spiritual being, he is evil, he hates God and his kingdom, and does everything he can to thwart it. That is, the, that is the uniform testimony of scripture. Peter here describes him as a, a prowling lion, right? Stalking around, looking for an easy meal. That's pretty terrifying. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I don't know about you, I'm not in too much danger of uh, large predatory cats jumping out uh, on my street. Uh, but right, that would have been a real danger in the Near East. Peter says, watch out. Be alert. How does he devour? What are, what are Satan's tactics? 
Well, if you're familiar uh, with the story of the Bible, and if you're not, it's okay. Uh, But if you go back to Jesus' life, uh, Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness before he began his ministry. And what, how did Satan try to derail Jesus? He made him question his identity and his calling. He said, are you, are you really the son of God? Why in the world are you out here starving in the wilderness? Are you, look at, look at all these things I have to offer you. Are you, are you sure you want to take the path that God has marked out for you? That was, that was Satan. That's Satan's tactic, right? He wants to derail God's kingdom purposes by making Jesus question his identity and his calling. Uh, think about when we see him in the garden, not as a lion, but as a serpent. He's doing the same thing to Adam and Eve. Did, did God really say? Are you sure God loves you? I mean, that fruit looks good, doesn't it? I mean, I, I know he said no, but... I think it would be good for you. Do you want it? If you want it, take it. I mean, why, why would God withhold anything from you that's really good? Right? Identity and calling. And he does the same thing to us. When the pressure comes, when that vice grip tightens, when temptation sings its siren song, we need to remember. We need to be alert. We have an enemy who wants us to fail. We have an enemy who, who wants us to doubt our identity. Does God really love you? Are you his adopted son or daughter? And our calling. Man, that road looks really hard. Are you sure about that? There's going to there's gonna be there's some trial and temptation and suffering coming your way. Are you sure you want to walk that path? Right? Will we trust God or not? We have an enemy. And so Peter says... In verse 9, resist him. Now, as terrifying as it is that there's a prowling lion, now, we also need to say that Satan is not omnipotent. Uh, He is not omnipresent, right? Uh, So he cannot be everywhere all at once. He is not God. He is not God's equal, right? He is a lion on a tether, okay? Um, That's still scary, right? But, Peter says, it's possible to resist him. I don't know how many Star Trek nerds there are in here. Okay, that's fine. I'll take that. Um, If you ever watched Star Trek The Next Generation in the 90s, um, there there was an alien race called the Borg. Right? And these were these... Half machine, half human. Uh, this is a half machine, half human race. They had these imposing, terrifying cube-like ships. And their mission was to assimilate everything they came in contact with and make it part of the Borg. Right? They were ruthless. They were soulless. They were scary. And, and when they came upon uh, someone that they wanted to conquer, they would say, resistance is futile. Right? You don't have a chance, so don't even put up a fight. Peter says, resistance is not futile. Resist him. James says something similar. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right? The the danger is not that we don't have the resources. In fact, I would encourage you this week to go back and look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, where it talks about 
the spiritual armor, the armor of God, all of the all of the equipment that God has given us to withstand the schemes of the devil. Right. Resistance is possible. The danger is that I won't resist. But that I'll that I'll falter, that I'll fail. And so Peter says, no, resist firm in the faith. Make use of the means of grace. Right. Who who is it that lions go after? Right? When they're when they're stalking the the, the herd of wildebeest in the savannah, who do they go after? They're they're looking right they're they're looking to separate people off from the herd. Not people, excuse me, wildebeest. I'm blending my metaphors, right? They they want to cut off the stragglers. Right? If we can separate the mama and her babies from the herd, then we can have a meal. And what's great analogy of the church right? when we when we are separated from the community that's when we are in the most danger and so we need one another which is why peter also tells us to look around he reminds us that we're not alone look in verse Nine again, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not alone. You're not the only people who are suffering in this way. But isn't that what suffering does to us? We we think we're the only ones who are experiencing this. You know, we get in our own heads and we think nobody's going to understand. I don't. You know what, I should probably just bear this myself. I don't need to tell anybody. I'm just, you know, it would just bother them. I don't want to burden anybody else with this. I'll just keep it to myself. I'm so thankful that in those moments, uh, I've, I've done that a lot, right? I've gotten in my own head a lot, done a lot of navel-gazing, uh, which usually leads me down the path of self-pity and despair. And so I'm thankful that in more recent memory... The Holy Spirit has prompted me to call a friend and say, hey, I need help. I am struggling. Will you please pray for me? Right? We're not alone. Peter says, what you're experiencing, every, all of your brothers and sisters in the faith around the world are experiencing the same thing. And then he goes on, right? We see this in the closing of the letter where he mentions... Silvanus, another name for, the, for Silas, and he mentions Mark. Both of these men, both trusted friends of Peter and Paul. And so you see that the, even these great leaders, even men like Peter and Paul, were not alone. They did not work alone. They had people who worked around them and with them and for them. And then he mentions, he says, she who is in Babylon. What's he talking about? She who is in Babylon, who is also chosen. He's talking about the church, most likely in Rome. Uh, he's not using Babylon to say, oh, the evil city Babylon. Remember that, that Peter is using Old Testament imagery about God's people being in exile. And in the Old Testament, it was the Babylonian Empire that exiled God's people. You went into exile in Babylon. Well, Peter picks up that imagery from the Old Testament and he's using it in the New and he says, hey, we're God's people and we too are in exile. Peter is saying, I'm writing to you from Rome, most likely. I'm in exile just like you are. We are in this together. 
We are a people who are not yet home. And how does he want them to treat each other? Verse 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Don't get uncomfortable. We're not going to make you kiss anybody. But what I want you to think about, uh, if any of you have ever been uh, down to Louisiana, around New Orleans, you've had experience with Cajun people. I remember going with a friend of mine down to Slidell. I had never met his mother, but it did not matter to her. As soon as, soon as I walked up, she grabbed my face and she kissed me on both cheeks. Took some getting used to. All right. But right, it's, a, it's a sign of welcome. It's a sign of affection. So, you know, in 21st century America, maybe it's not the, the kiss of love. Maybe we say it's a holy side hug. Right. But but what is Peter saying? He's saying you're in the same family. Greet one another like that. Hug each other. He's talking about signs of love and warm welcome. Look around, Christian. You're not the only exile who's away from home. And this is why unity and peace in the body matter. Because we need each other. We need that holy side hug. Right? Or some of you go for the front hug, but some of you just can stick with the side. It's okay. Right? And so uh, next week, this relational wisdom class, that's what this is going to be about. How do, we, how do we relate to one another well? How, we're going to talk about three different relationships. Our relationship to God, our relationship to ourselves, and our relationship to other people. All of those are fractured by the fall. All of those are fractured by our own sinfulness. So we need God's word to help us learn how to relate to each other well. So I hope you'll, you'll come for that class starting next week. Peter says, look around. But then ultimately he says, look ahead. Let's go to verse 10. He says, and after you have suffered a little while, suffering is not forever. It's just a little while. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Notice the. Notice that the the little while of suffering gets swallowed up in the eternal glory of Christ. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning, and it will last forever. And then, what will the God of all grace do? And he is the God of all grace. All of life is a gift of grace. Peter even says it in verse 12. I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. All of life is grace. No one will cross the finish line and say, look at me. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at how steadfast I was. Aren't you pleased with me, Lord? Every saint will cross the line and say, I wouldn't have made it if it weren't for you. The God of all grace. And what will he do? He will restore. Make right. Make whole. He will restore, 
confirm, strengthen, and establish. What does that mean? It means that nothing will be lost that will not be returned. You can lose nothing. It means that those who are weak now will be strong then. That every danger we face, every threat that that looms in front of us will be conquered and made as nothing in that day. That is the hope that we have. Martin Luther wrote the hymn, From Depths of Woe. He based it on Psalm 130, and I just wanted to read a couple of the, the verses from that hymn. If you're not familiar with it, we sing it from time to time here. Verse 2, he says, To wash away the crimson stain, grace, grace alone availeth. Our works, alas, are all in vain. In much, the best life faileth. No man can glory in thy sight. All must alike confess thy might and live alone by mercy. Therefore, my trust is in the Lord and not in my own merit. On him my soul shall rest. His word upholds my fainting spirit. His promised mercy is my fort, my comfort and my sweet support. I wait for it with patience. And then he says this, last Verse, though great our sins and sore our woes, his grace much more aboundeth. His helping love no limit knows. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's helping love for you is infinite and boundless? It knows no limit whatsoever. His helping love no limit knows our utmost need it soundeth. That means as deep as your need is, God's love goes all the way to it. Our shepherd, good and true, is he who will at last his Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. Do you believe that? That's the hope for everyone who is in Christ. That's the future that enables you to live like Peter is calling you to live in the present. If you do not have that hope this morning, if you do not yet know the love of God, I invite you, come to Jesus. His arms are open and he will receive you freely. Let's pray. Father, would you take these words and would you apply them to us? Would you make us a people of hope who trust in your power, who love one another? Help us to look around and love one another. Help us to look ahead and trust in your unfailing love. Help us to be humble and to stand firm. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have there in the bulletin uh, our prayer focus for this week. We actually have two of them. Uh, the first Sunday of every month, our prayer focus is on you and your family. 
And the scripture that guides our, prayer, uh, our prayers for ourselves and our families this week will be 2 Peter 3.8. We want to pray that um, we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. There's also a second prayer focus this week as the school year gets started. We also want to pray for teachers and students in whatever setting that happens. So, very quickly, if you are a school, if you are a teacher, uh, and that's in public school or private school or home school, uh, or in Sunday school, if you uh, are in a position of teaching and influencing those who are younger than yourself, would you please stand up? Come on, we got more teachers than that. There we go. We got some mamas homeschooling. All right, there we go. Awesome. All right, you guys can sit down. I just want you to have those people's faces in mind, uh, faces in mind as we pray. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, we're gonna pray. I'm gonna give you some time to pray that first prayer focus. So for you and your family, maybe there's someone in your family uh, that's wandering, that's straying, and you would love for them to know the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Maybe that's a prayer for you this morning that you've uh, strayed, or maybe you want to know the grace of God better. Take a few minutes uh, in silent prayer, and you can pray that uh, for you and for your family members. Then I'll lead us in a prayer, uh, and then I'm going to pray for our teachers and students uh, for the coming year. And when I do that, I would love for you to kind of keep in mind uh, those people who just stood up, those different teachers um, and the different students in the life of our church that you know. So let's pray together. Our good and gracious King, we begin praying for ourselves that we would grow in your grace and knowledge, Jesus. That we would, that, that would be our, our, our food and our drink, that we would delight to grow in your grace and knowledge. That we would not neglect the means of grace, word and prayer, those, those means by which you grow us in your grace, the church. Holy Spirit, would you help us to use every tool at our disposal to this end and begin with our hearts. Make it our intention our burning desire to grow in your grace and knowledge. We pray that for our families. For those in our family who don't yet know you. God, would you capture their hearts? Would they find your grace to be amazing and sweet and better than anything else the world has to offer? Would you give us opportunity to speak that grace into their lives? And for those in our families that do know you, would you help us to build one another up in love? May we not be slack or slow in offering words of grace and truth 
for families with younger children. We pray that those children would come to know you as soon as you would will it. That they could say there was never a day when they didn't know you as their Lord and Savior. For those with older children and those uh, maybe with children who have left the home. May we continue to be voices of truth and grace in their lives. Father, we also turn and we pray for our teachers, both in the home and in the church and in the school settings. God, would you make them ambassadors of your grace and give them gospel opportunities wherever they are. May they love your truth and speak your truth. All truth is your truth and nothing is true apart from you. Lord, we pray for our students. God, for those uh, who are who are under the teaching of different teachers, Lord, we pray that they would see that this is their job right now, that this is part of what it means to grow up. This is that you are using education to mold and shape them. I pray that they would come to that work with eagerness, that you would give them intelligence and perseverance and hunger, and that they would delight to learn. And that you would begin to take the knowledge that they are learning and connect it to your truth, to yourself. So that they can have a a good biblical worldview. Lord, other prayers in our church. We thank you for Gary Tate's new grandbaby, Ian. Uh, Ian Jones, we thank you uh, for a safe delivery for Megan. And that everyone is home and doing well. We pray for Ian. Again, there would... There would never be a day when he doesn't know you as his Savior. And Lord, would you call him to yourself, Lord? And we pray also for Marie as she works on a few last, de- uh, last details to get her home sold. We pray that all of that would come together uh, and that the house would be sold. And Lord, that you would find her uh, a suitable place to live. I thank you for those uh, people uh, in our our church who have gathered around her to help her get her home ready. And pray, Lord, that we would continue to help her and love her in that way. Help us to know how best to do that. And we pray all of these things in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. It's the first Sunday, and so... uh,